Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 17. Today, me and Liana are back to continue our read-along of the First Law books with Best Serve Cold by Joe Abercrombie. Very exciting. I'm finally reading something I haven't read before, although, Liana, I know you've, you have read this before. And yes, uh, but this is our first chat about a book that isn't a reread for you. It's true. It is. So new and exciting. I really liked this. This was originally my favorite for the new trilogy was a thing. Mm-hmm. And before I reread it, but it was my first time through my, my favorite. I can see that. I yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked a lot of the the characters. I think his character work is great. And it's very different from the first law tr- trilogy and you know i know part of this is a mo- well not very different but it's in different in certain key aspects but i mean like it is still very similar the, like the pacing of it is very yeah. different i guess I just like say. when you say it's very different i mean there is still a lot about it that is quite yeah, similar that's so it's true. not like a totally different project no no it's, no, just no. Like it's the, the same yeah. And- yeah, yeah 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 like structurally it's different in terms of like pacing and stuff and like what the book is trying to accomplish. But the the world and the way he approaches characters and stuff like that is like it feels similar. like a first law book. Like yeah. When you when oh, you read the trilogy sure. and read this, you're like, yes, this is what comes next. Yes. Like yes. It is definitely <laughs> a logical continuation. But it was something where I and and I I told you this, I started off listening to the audiobook and I was like, I cannot just look like I read read the book physically along with the audiobook because Things were just happening so quickly. I wasn't catching everything just listening to it. I mean, this is my third time through and I still caught things like that I didn't catch the first or second time. It, there's a lot that happens. I mean, well, it's plus also book, like this is again, also... like, like all the times that I say to read in order because of all the little stuff that he includes that you only pick up on. But there's like just generally speaking, even when it's not necessarily a reference to another first law thing, he also just generally likes to cram in a bunch of little stuff that isn't even necessarily meaningful. Like when I say I caught things, it's not like I didn't understand the plot and I now I finally get it. It's right. like just like a bunch of like little stuff that's around and it's not an easter egg in the like marvel brandon sanderson sense Mm -hmm. like it's not gimmicky like that it's more just like these little moments where like something happens that like if you catch it you catch it and if you didn't you didn't but Mm -hmm. it's there and if you like it's a joy (laughs) yeah you do stumble on it well there's just so much detail and nuance that's there if you want to see it and it's and I mean you know this is my first time reading it I'm sure I didn't pick up on everything but there were a lot of really interesting things I got this this is not the thing I messaged you about that this is the thing that I was the most excited about yeah was that I caught for the first time I mean he always likes to name the books and name the title or the chapters after like famous quotes or after he's referencing things all the time Mm -hmm. so you know like the blade itself is from the quote the blade itself incites to deeds of violence before they are hanged is from the quote you should we should forgive our enemies but not before they are hanged and the last argument of kings that's not a quote but it is what king louis the f- i don't know the name it's for the 13th <laughs> that he had that like engraved on his cannons for war mm. you know meaning that this is the last argument of kings interesting like, war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like he's always doing that and so like the chapter titles are often also they sometimes even have like he'll actually have a quote as the you know the start of it that's not like a first law quote it's a real world like Terry Pratchett is one of the authors that's quoted in the new trilogy so the titles of chapters are sometimes a, you know, a first law reference it's just like something that makes sense for the chapter and sometimes it's a reference again so like yeah. I did not catch the first two times I read it and I only caught it this time that one of the chapters is called thus the whirly gig and that's a reference to Twelfth Night by William Shakespeare because oh because at the end of Twelfth Night 
mild spoilers for 12th night um <laughs> malvolio is like he's kind of a, a, an asshole and the like there's some of the comedic beats are about playing a prank on him to get back at him and now it's all coming to light how he was pranked and it's all being explained what happened and who did it and why and the one of the characters says thus the whirly gig of time brings around or brings forth his revengers um so like- interesting <laughs> that's great i love it well i noticed in best serve cold because it's divide and we should we should do a quick sort of overview of like what is this book but i did notice well my little quote it should be a clue it's a revenge story that's yeah i mean it's, gig. yes it's a revenge <laughs> it story. is well in best serve cold i think the title is also pretty obvious <laughs> which is also a quote you know yes. revenge is revenge the is best serve cold. cold yeah so it's interesting because it's divided up into seven parts for each of the seven people she wants to kill to get revenge and the I did notice that there was a quote at the beginning of each part, which which was kind of interesting. Yeah, he's a he's a well-read man. He likes to yeah. put in stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this was much more fast-paced than right. the first law series. Like it's like it, all the action non-stop. of the first law trilogy crammed into one standalone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sometimes, like, there were moments where I felt like the action scenes were too long, the battle scenes, but it's a personal preference thing. I, say, I mean, like, I think you felt that you felt that way about stuff I felt that way trilogy. about Yeah, I did. I definitely did. But overall, I had a really good time with it. And I just love, I love the characters and the political pieces of it are so interesting. And some of the, the revelations and scenes are just like... <laughs> I mean, it does, you know it rewards you for paying attention because like if you're halfway through and you're like i don't know what's happening well you're not going to be enjoying it but if you are paying attention and you did catch all the things and how they're connected and who's who and how what all the little things they've said to each other before that are now callbacks to that like Mm -hmm. if you actually paid attention then the scene is like so great yeah or you're just like i don't know what's happening or who any of you are or why we're here (laughs) those are the only really two options i mean i think that's fair yeah I do think that for people who, well, and this is maybe true for Abercrombie in general, but I think for people who need their characters to be good. (laughs) I think reading the, if you still, after the First Thought trilogy, were still hoping to find that, I was like, I mean, that's your fault. You're still looking for that. No, well, but I mean, I think it's interesting, right? Because this is a revenge story and like, you know, None of the characters are heroic. A lot of times they're doing things for like selfish reasons. And although that is the thing you know. about revenge stories is that like revenge itself, as satisfying as it is, and therefore as a, you know, it's a thing that people gravitate towards. Like yeah. revenge stories like stand the test of time because people yeah. just like they love to see it. But any revenge story kind of necessitates your protagonist choosing the dark path and yes. choosing to come down to the level of their enemy and do the same in return. And this, yeah. like, I mean, in this case, she was bad to begin with, but I yeah. mean like any revenge story, even if they start out virtuous, you know, Canamon and Christo, they are not, they cannot be virtuous by the end if they have chosen revenge. Mm. What I think is so interesting about this. Oh, I don't, I don't know if I can say this right now because it's spoilery though. You can hint at it and I'll probably know what you're talking about. I feel like I'm going to forget. I, okay. 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 So, one thing that I really like about this is that Monza, who's our, our main character, the Monscaro speaking, Mercato, yes. the snake of talons, <laughs> right? Who's I have to say revenge. between the two different Monzas on the covers, I know that like people listening and not watching won't see, but like the new Monza is very boring looking compared to the old cover Monza. Old cover Monza looks way more metal. That is true. I just don't like that cover design. Really? I love it. Really? 
yeah i don't i don't know i don't love these covers either to be honest i mean they're, i think my, okay. i mean my favorites are the uk paperbacks where like the cover of Vester of cold for that is just like it's kind of like this side here that has like coins and stuff mm-hmm. and without monza and that has like a blade on it and that's it there's no people on it because they don't have okay. people on any of the covers Interesting. Um, but i just think that for having a person on the cover this works way better for me than the new yeah cover. i do, i know i like her i just don't like the whole cover design you know what I, I mean? just I mean I just like this better than the new US paper. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. Yeah. And it's you know, I just have to have a hardcover because I have to. <laughs> That's fair. I think it's interesting because Monza is seeking revenge and it's not necessarily quite as satisfying as she wants it to be, right? Even from like the very beginning, like she begins to find when she starts to actually get some returns on this plan mm-hmm. that she's like, I'm gonna I I want to enjoy this really bad, but I'm just gonna fake it till I make it. Yeah. Hopefully this starts feeling good at some point. (laughs) Yeah. What I think is interesting though, is that it's not this, cause I have seen, so like you have your classic revenge story, right? Where it's like, okay, somebody gets revenge and it's satisfying perhaps. Or you have a story where like someone gets revenge, it's not satisfying and it ruins their life or like they somehow learn it they realize that the they end, realize that, that like they ruined their own life by pursuing revenge exactly yeah. this book doesn't do either of those things which is so interesting it's like we're not gonna moralize about it you are gonna see that maybe it's well, in not fairness satisfying. all a lot of characters do constantly moralize about they what do. they're doing they so. do yeah the book itself, its thesis isn't to moralize, but the no. characters themselves, which I, th- I mean, I think is generally Abercrombie's thesis, is that people, how people, when people, and if people justify and moralize their own behavior to themselves. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I liked Monza a lot. I think and I mean, she's even such though an it is character, she's the obviously the person on the cover. It's it's her book. Yeah, but it is more of an ensemble cast. Even it is. Though yes, it's her. It's her revenge. But. Yeah, but it's like her collecting people to help her enact her revenge, and <laughs> like there are some characters that she ends up with. You think after a while that, like, when you've seen Abercrombie invent such unique characters, then mm-hmm. you're like, how much material can you possibly still have to generate a, yet a new individual unique person? Yeah. And he keeps doing it. <laughs> like, yeah. up to, like, the new trilogy, I'm like, you still got it. I don't know where these people are coming from. <laughs> like, you must have, like, multiple personality disorder. <laughs> well, I mean, but, like, people are like that, which I think is is what makes it so interesting is that. I don't know. I, I like the way he does characters. The Poisoner. <laughs> it is impressive. It is. like to split your psyche to be able to write all those characters mm-hmm. and to write from their perspectives. And because mm-hmm. they're not just like out over there doing something funny. Like they're, you're in all of their heads all the time. Yeah. So like he has to actually, you know, write in the headspace of how this person is thinking uh-huh. and write it in a way where you buy it. Yeah. And so he has to like fracture his psyche into so many pieces across the first law to give us, and especially, I mean, we have, we're not there yet, but the heroes is even more characters mm-hmm. and you see them even more briefly. Like there are so many characters in the heroes and you'll see a character for like some you see longer and some you see for like two seconds, but even the ones you see for two seconds, you're like, that felt like a person who has a life off the page mm-hmm. that came before this, what I saw. And if they didn't die in this scene, then they have something that comes after <laughs> But like, you know, like to do that, just like for everybody, all the, t- no one's a cardboard cutout, like mm-hmm. ever. It's yep. just staggering. Yeah. And I, I think there were a lot of really great, interesting characters in this book. I have to say I was so entertained often by the poisoner. Revere in day. Yes. Well, he's 
He's such We're a... We're talking about moralizing. He's always, like, justifying his own positions and actions. Yes, but he it's so funny because sometimes he thinks that he's so good at what he does. But and he, in fairness to him, he is pretty good at what he does. He's pretty good at what he does, but he also has some, like, royal screw-ups. And sometimes his biggest successes are, like, accidental. Well, there's even that, like, kind of, I guess, mild spoilers for, like, a character beat. But, like, he says there's no such thing as happy accidents. Mm. And then later, he starts cackling because something went not exactly according to plan. But then it kind of just, like, worked out in yeah. a way. And he was starts laughing because he's like, I guess there is such I a thing as a happy accident. I guess there is such a thing accident. as a happy accident. <laughs> he, was, he was something else. And uh, Costa was also just... So entertaining. Well, I always and refer to him as the Jack Sparrow of the first law universe. Yes. Yes. 100%. <laughs> I mean, a lot of his so lines, accurate. you could picture Jack Sparrow yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is, that's completely accurate. And he had some, some things that surprised me. And it's nice too, because I mean, fun. like, you do have some familiar faces to anchor you in mm-hmm. this new story in a new place with new stakes and a new situation. Yep. But you have people like Nicomo Koska who mm-hmm. are like, okay, I know who you are. We saw some of you in the first Hall trilogy and we get to see so much more of him, which is great. Unlike Jack Sparrow. I mean, it's not like Casca's the main character, which is why it still works. There should never be a book where Casca's the main character, just like there shouldn't have been a film where Jack Sparrow was the main character. Like that's not, that's not the function of that character. But like, you know, having seen more of him, like giving more screen time, if you will, to that role was like, oh, like he's, you know, he's kind of like a comic relief in the first law trilogy. Like he's got some great one-liners that are quite, you know, quotable, but he's not really a full-on character that you're like, what's his deal? But you really Mm kind of get to know him and what makes him tick. And like, he's not just like a caricature that like Mm -hmm. stumbles on screen to say a funny thing. Like he actually like, as a human, you like get him and like yeah why he is the way he is yeah it's really interesting there's so many things that happen towards the end of the book that i was like what and again like i just like instant a lot of the details where i feel like Aber- that's why abercrombie's characters feel so peopley like they feel mm-hmm. like authentic humans because like it's easy to write you know the wild card character that mm-hmm. or maybe i shouldn't say easy but like you know plenty of people can write a wild card character that even if it's a good enough writer can have some quippy witty things to say that are memorable mm-hmm. and fun to have around but like Casca's behavior at every turn, especially when you come to learn more about him, it's never it's never out of character. And like right. when you learn how can he, like it almost feels like a comedy beat. It feels like a caricature to have somebody who's like casual and snarky, almost like a Marvel character in the face of violence. And you're mm-hmm. like, who's actually in the face of violence going to be quippy? But it is actually entirely believable that Casca is because he gets really stressed out and drunk by being in peacetime. And it's only in like when he's faced with imminent death. That he like gets his shit together and is like, well, mm-hmm. this is living. I am sharp and I am ready. And this is where I'm my best when I'm like about to die. As soon as you yep. take danger away from him, he's like, I can't function. I don't know how to yeah. live. And like, there are people like that. There so are people like that. Like, yeah. A quippy Bond villain who's just like, mm-hmm. you know, laughing in the face of a gun. Like, that's literally part of his like yep. psyche. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, you do know people like that, which I, and I just think across the board, that's true. I think part of what, you know, going back to Monza makes her so interesting is that she is definitely what she needs to be to succeed in her chosen career as a woman. And I think what's interesting about her is that we see how 
like she has to live up to certain things even if it's not really how she feels and how she just kind of like well i think one of the most interesting ways that he executes Monza's characterization is by having us learn who she is by how she misrepresents herself to herself and that's who you think she is because you only have her word to go off of and then mm-hmm. by the end of the book you've had enough other people challenge her own assessment of herself challenge her own position on who she is challenge her belief on what makes her tick to right. where by the end of the book you're like oh Monza, you're actually full of shit you're nothing like what you told me you are yeah <laughs> but she is single-minded and determined to be who she thinks she needs to be regardless yeah but she's all and there's also the sense of like she because you get and this is another example. Like the book uses flashbacks sparingly, but to great effect. There yeah. aren't just like lengthy pages, hundreds of pages of flashbacks just to like, mm-hmm. you know, have the runtime. You have like some of the flashbacks are like so short. Yeah. It's literally just the one conversation because that was the key conversation that you needed to learn about to give you context for what's going right. on. And so but they like, give you so much information about her and her brother, particularly. Well, other well, that's things what I'm saying. Like, there's when yeah. people complain about flashbacks feeling like they're like they drag the runtime of a book or a movie, but mm-hmm. there's a reason flashbacks exist. And like, this is them used correctly, like with surgical precision. Come in, show you the key thing, and we're back to the main story. And we didn't just mm-hmm. like go in a flashback so long that we forgot what we were doing here. But what I was going to say about the flashbacks is that it's in the flashbacks that even though they are quite short and used sparingly. The flashbacks still give you this sense of the kind of slow death of a thousand cuts, the, the thousand steps that took her down the path of where she is now, that she mm-hmm. didn't start out there. It kind of like flashes back to each pivotal forking of your life that like takes you further down that path. And so yeah. it's like those key moments where like something changed in her life that irrevocably pushed her farther down this path. Right. Well, and I think the other piece of it is that at the beginning of the book, we just, we, you know, we come into the story seeing these people kill her brother and try to kill her. Right. And so understand. Spoilers for like page two. For page two. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, it opens with a bang. (laughs) Yeah, it does. So, you know, it's understandable that she would want revenge. But I think what's interesting is with the flashbacks, you also get these moments that build out her, who her brother is because he is barely there in the current plot because he's dead but he's I mean, had can't such take a you out of a story <laughs> it, unfortunately in fact i think it's investor of cold that Casca has a line that he attributes to something that someone once told him that mm-hmm. was like you know they say that you should laugh at every opportunity you have while you're alive because you'll find it decidedly difficult afterwards <laughs> because i think someone's asking Casca how he can be laughing and he's like you have to laugh while you're alive you can't accurate. after i mean what are you gonna, yeah accurate <laughs> no but it's it's interesting because her brother benna you don't know much about him you know that she wants revenge and they were really close to each other but benna then, is like the wife that was fridged he's like there to set yeah. her on her revenge quest <laughs> right except that the more you learn about him the more you're like mm, were you deserving of her doing all of this to get revenge for your death Maybe not. Probably yeah. not. Yeah. But I mean, she's quite, and I mean, and again, just like the way that who she is gets challenged by characters. So by the end, you're like, oh, the impression you gave me of who you are is not true. But similarly, she's quite righteous about this revenge that she's like mm-hmm. whole a hundred percent all in. This was wrong. I, it must be righted. There is no gray. And yeah. like the number of people that are like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the number of things you've done with the crap you've pulled with the people that you've backed out. Where do you get off? And she's always like, 
okay, but this person, I didn't wrong them. And they stabbed <laughs> me in the back. So, <laughs> so there. It's true. I mean, like a lot of bodies drop in this, in this book. Which in fairness, she's like, this is not exactly what my plan was. No. This is more collateral damage than I intended. But nevertheless, Sometimes. we must carry on. We must, yeah, the show must go on. Let's crack on to the next person we must murder. <laughs> indeed, indeed. One the question that I have, because I can't decide, and you've read this more than I have. Do you think that she actually had a... Are we getting into spoilers? Because I think I know what you're going to ask. Okay, we'll say we're getting into spoilers. I don't know if this is like super spoilery, but like kind of, I mean... It's yeah. pretty spoilery if I, I it is so. what I think you're going to say. Okay. Do you think that she actually had an incestuous relationship with her brother? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Because I've said uh, before why this one, it's still a great book and I enjoyed it every time I read it. But where the first Law Trilogy is more that like every time you read it, it gets better. This mm -hmm. one, it's a revenge story where the ending doesn't really subvert or alter the road there. You know, the end of the first Law Trilogy, you're like, oh, I need to go back and reread and see everything mm -hmm. that I didn't know that to look for before. Yeah. But this story, I mean, like, okay, we set out to do revenge and then we do the revenge. And then that's it. So like yeah. seeing the end of the story, there's some things that, you know, it's interesting to see where, okay, let's go back and see how we got there. But it's not really the kind of story. Like the rereading of the joy of it is more just like the little things that you missed simply because it was your first time through, mm -hmm. not because the ending made it possible to notice it. It's just that like you can't possibly catch it all the first time. It's just right. the amount. It, not that like, oh, I, it's not like, again, the first law trilogy, you're like, I didn't know to look for this. I didn't know this was a thing or an option. Right. Uh, whereas this is like, it just the more you read it, they're like, oh, I didn't notice the first time that you like did that thing over there. Yeah. But the one thing that you kind of on a reread now have that you didn't have the first time through is that mm -hmm. is like knowing to look for all the times that her brother, her relationship with her brother gets mentioned and how she thinks about it and how she talks about it. And the number of times she links Shivers to her brother in her mind and then does it in order to find Shivers attractive and does it to when she no longer finds him attractive. Oh, so, like, I think it's pretty un indisputable. Ugh. Okay. Lovely. <laughs> I was like, I can't tell. I was like, I know everybody else thinks this, and he was clearly telling other people it was the case, but, like, is it or not? I don't know. And, That's... I mean, when Shivers asks her about it, if it wasn't true, I think she would deny it. Yeah. And she's like, it's none of your business, which is yeah. not what you say if it's not true. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> why? Because <laughs> why not? Oh, <laughs> uh, so gross. Because she'd be such a great and virtuous character if not for that. No, but it's I. Well, yeah, no, but it's still it's just kinda... which like I was I didn't say it before because we weren't in spoilers, but I was when I said Benna is the wife that got fridged. I mean, like low key, he was the wife that got fridged. <laughs> yeah, he was also terrible. It's like he went behind her back and did all this stuff and pushed her into dangerous situations and did dumb shit and like could not get his act together and she was always having to protect him and take care of him <laughs> like, i mean basically not... like the work of the book is to like deconstruct monza's worldview and her yeah. own view of herself like yeah. you open the book by her self-righteously saying that she's been wronged that mm -hmm. she is a beast and a monster and that she is the hardened one that her brother was like you know you know, her bestie and that he deserves to be revenged and that he was so wonderful. Yeah. And so then by the, across the course of this book, you're like, okay, so revenge is not justified because 
you've done far worse to people in your life. So like, where do you get off? But at the same time, you aren't as bad as you think you are. You're not nearly as hard. You're not nearly as cruel and vindictive as you pretend to be. And your brother is not deserving of this. So like all on all three counts, it is in fact the opposite. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and it's interesting too, because it's like, like, she's not necessarily getting a lot of satisfaction out of most of her revenge, but she still ends up as a duchess at the end of everything. Which, like, wasn't the plan. She wasn't trying to no, ascend. No, Yeah. <laughs> well, but what's funny is it's probably what her brother wanted for her. Well, I mean, kind of it was in the end. Like, she, yeah. they went the long way to down the road that Benna wanted to go on. He was like, you deserve to be in charge. You deserve to be a duchess. You deserve mm-hmm. to blah, 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 blah. By getting revenge for his death, she ended up. I guess giving him the best revenge that he could ask for by landing on top where he felt they deserved to be. I guess so. Yeah. I like, I do think it's interesting too, because, and, and I think we've talked about this in the first law trilogy as well, that he does this thing of like having characters end up where they started. And you definitely get that with Monza, like literally in the same room where the story started, except with a role reversal. Yep. Yeah, he likes to do that. Yeah. And I mean, poor friendly wanted to end up where he started, but yeah. Couldn't go back to safety like he wanted to. <laughs> poor friendly. Poor guy. I loved friendly. He was great. Just <laughs> another very unique character that Abercrombie yes, has written. So, he's so funny. I think yeah. I told you about it before you got to it, but when he demands that they apologize to his dice, <laughs> <laughs> like, you've gone too far. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I know we were talking we're talking about like lack of ace representation in books. I feel like Friendly is definitely asexual. Yeah, I mean, what is he, the only thing that excited him was counting the thrusts because right. counting is really the only thing. Yeah, and he does get. I mean, I don't know if it is asexual because like he does get sexually aroused by day counting. He's just. He's. Just I mean, different. I feel like he's on the ace spectrum. He's on many spectrums. He's on many spectrums. He's a unique individual. <laughs> he is, but I really, I really enjoyed him. I just thought, like, his sort of well, I enjoy view of the him, world was really interesting. The like, the like buddy cop juxtaposition of opposites that is Casca and friendly. Yeah, and that's another thing that's fun. Yes. Like in the because Abercrombie likes to have chapters that echo each other. He mm-hmm. likes to have chapters that like begin and end in the same place. Yeah, like, he likes to do stuff like that. So like having the mirrored um, internal monologues of friendly and Casca where like friendly or like Casca finds friendly silence like he's like complete confident silence relaxing and therapeutic and very soothing to be around and he mm-hmm. just enjoys how he's like he just has the courage to say nothing at all and like not care what anyone thinks and then friendly loves Casca talking all the time and he's like he has the courage to just talk and talk and say anything and not care what anyone thinks like they both think thing about each other but yeah. like the exact opposite thing yeah so they both find like that they're drawn to each other not you know in a sexual or romantic way just that like they balance each other out in a way yeah. that they both deeply appreciate mm-hmm. i love it i do think what he does with that what you're talking about is really interesting and the one that really stood out in this book where i was listening to the audiobook and then i was like wait so i went back and read it because I had like taken a break. From like you haven't even said what it is, but I'm like 99 percent sure. That's why I'm nodding because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> it's the sex scene. Yeah. <laughs> so like I think I mentioned this. I don't know. I think it was in the po- in our podcast talking about the first trilogy. But anyway, yeah. I've mentioned it before and definitely in my like overview about mm-hmm. how there's certain things that he's like learns from his mistakes and then he like improves on the things that he does re- well. So that by the mm-hmm. time you get to the new trilogy, he's kind of like f- perfected all of his like Olympic moves. Yeah. To where they're all like gold level performance and so then like in my overview video where i was being non-spoiler 
I was like, that thing he does where like he starts a chapter where the previous one ended or like mirrors them or whatever. And I was like, I guess that sounds like any book because it sounds like every, I mean, basically you could describe any chapter as starting yeah. that way. But I was yeah. like, but if you've read the books, you know exactly what I'm talking about because he starts doing it in Best Served Cold with that. And by the time you get to the new trilogy, he's taken that, let's call it an Olympic move. Uh-huh. And he's like, it is the most precision execution of that. Because he's like taken that and like really perfected wow. that thing. It's so impressive because it's one of, it's like, so for anybody who hasn't read it, who's still, who's in the spoiler section, it's like a sex scene that keeps switching perspectives between Monza and Shivers. And because they had had sex before, you just assume that, that it's, each of their perspectives sleeping together and then you slowly realize oh they're having sex with two different people <laughs> yes indeed oh man it was really it's very well executed yeah okay i also have a question because there were some things that happened that i was like okay so there's this whole thing well, with, like, I mean, when i asked you how you were doing with shivers it was pre um loss of eye so he's quite a different person after that but i, I don't is. think that's what you're about to talk about so what were you no. about to say <laughs> i was going to talk about shanked because what's interesting about it and i'm not sure that i pieced this together correctly but like tell so tell me if i'm wrong i mean he number one is like a quite a character like eats people that was a creepy scene speaking of which when he kills the woman and like cuts off her leg <laughs> i mean i don't know that like in Eat best of cold that it's the most like you know like there's a lot of stuff that happens in it that's like quite no but that scene like really st- i this isn't what i was gonna say but like that scene did stand out to me where i was like that's so disturbing i'm like oh and it'll be a nice rump steak seared on the f-. and i'm like ew no but anyway. i mean He's an eater. And we He's know an eater. Yeah, he, he is. He is. Okay, but there's a scene later on where he goes to a house where presumably his love interest and the children they have together live, right? And the woman, I think, is is it Vitari? Is yeah, Charlotte Vitari. Right. Yeah. Okay, but. Well, okay. I mean, number one, I have questions about who was watching the children while they were both on these escapades. But number two. <laughs> I mean, we knew she had children from the first Law trilogy because Galacta uses that against her. That's true. He's like, he guesses that uh, where her children escaped. He doesn't know for a fact, but he's like, okay, where would her children, like, which exit would they have used and when would they have gone? He's like, I'm guessing they went, you know, yesterday and I'm guessing they would have gone through this gate. So he's like, right. oh, we got them as they were going yeah. through this gate. And she's like, Oh my god, oh my god, he's got him because he's like, Yep, guess right. That's right. I had forgotten. Yeah, I think I noticed early on that that's who she was, but then I forgot. (laughs) So I forgot that that was who she was. But yeah, so there's that. But like, she was the one who slept with Shivers and then tried to convince him to kill. No. Yes. In Best of Cold? No. That was, uh, uh, what's her name? Ida from. She was the like noble lady that Glockta spared her life when they were in. Um, but he said he said Vitari at the, like in the scene. He might have been talking about her, but that's not who he was sleeping with. Carlot. Carlot Dan Eider. Oh. Shiloh Vitari. Carlot Dan Eider. She's the okay. noble woman that like Glockta was like. I really shouldn't have spared her life. Why was I merciful? That was so dumb of me. Okay. Because then she shows up later and is like. Right. Okay. Ass. I was very confused. And then she's the one that's like currently on Glockta's orders sleeping with Orso's son. And that's why they get her to like arrange the Cardotti's House of Ledger thing. Okay. Okay. This was very confusing. There were a lot of moving pieces and people. So I was like, wait, is that her or what? 
Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. Because I was like, I was like, these, all these motivations don't make sense. What's happening? Okay. That makes, makes more sense now. <laughs> makes a lot more sense now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only one that, I mean, as far as we know that Shiloh slept with is Shanked. And then right. we know that Cosk, uh, no, Morveer makes them like comment about something about her. And she's like, I'm not going to, I'd already told you before that I forget. She's like, I'd rather sleep with a rat or something. And she says something very like mean. And he's like, you've made your position quite clear. I will not be renewing any overtures of that sort. <laughs> like, you don't have to remind me that you're repulsed by me. Because <laughs> like, uh, Morvir also like in his mind is thinking about, because she's so like mean to him, it reminds him of his mother. And that's what like turns him on about it. Yeah. She's like, Except mean also, and abusive, just like his mother. Yeah, except he also poisoned his mother. He but he also adored his mother, and right. like no woman is ever fit to like fill her shoes. Right. He's he's got some uh, some issues, don't they all? Yeah. They. I mean, they do. Show yeah. me a first law character that doesn't need therapy. Accurate. Always. Accurate. <laughs> okay, so Shanked is though. Like, I feel like Shanked is probably going to show up again because it seems like he's on one of this three one side of this three-sided war that's happening yeah i mean he is his own side i guess yeah because he doesn't i mean he's not if when you say a side i mean like we have like bias and crew valentin valk and everyone and then you have like the gurkish and Mm -hmm. like their you know kalul but like shanked is just he's a one-man operation he's the lone ranger he's on his own it is interesting because you that's what you well I mean because you end up having like all three of them trying to sort of have Monza on their side at the end of the book well Monza becomes I don't know like a chess piece they're all fighting over right and like she's not not it's not that anyone really wants her but like because they think the other one wants her then it becomes makes her interesting I mean like Shanked even says originally I was gonna kill you mm-hmm. and then it seems to me that keeping you alive would serve me better yeah so, like, what is Shanked's endgame, though? Just is... to hurt Bias. I mean, in every opportunity, like, if you invest your fold, yeah. he makes it pretty clear that, like, that's what he's yeah. trying to do. Yeah. Basically, so the political situation, right, is that they want to get Talons to be, like, part of the union. Glockta is, you know, or King Giselle, but we know it's Glockta through Bias. The cripple. Or, like, Bias through Glockta. Because like, they're always referencing. Yeah, because, like, Bias yeah. is truly in charge. So, but, like, right. Glockta making this happen is because Baez wants it. So like Orso is very friendly with him. He's married his daughter to King Giselle. They're getting very cozy. This is about to happen. So it's clear that Baez wants this. And so since Monza was working for Orso and very successfully giving him everything he needed because she was good at her job, then mm-hmm. Shanked was like, well, I don't want this to happen purely because Baez wants this to happen, to have like Diria to become part of the union. Mm-hmm. And so originally he wants to kill Monza, but then when Orso turns on his own henchman monza and kills her and now she wants to kill orso which is really he was trying to hurt orso and thought he'd kill monza that way yeah um he was like well if you want to hurt orso well now you are on my team so now i want to save your life right it's it's just interesting because it's like she's trying to do revenge and then other people are trying to do revenge through her there are it's a very nested revenging going on there is indeed times they're like Casca, shouldn't you be wanting revenge on monza why are you helping her with her revenge and he's like ah she, she's hot she's, yeah <laughs> like i can and forgive get, it like, in a pretty woman <laughs> and it's, it's sort of like halfway between lust and a fatherly affection because he did help raise yeah. her and teach her to read he made her who she is like he gave her the opportunity to like rise yeah. um in the ranks so he does feel like a protective fatherly type affection yeah. for her, but he's also like she's also really hot so. yeah <laughs> 
I mean, I do also feel like there's a couple of moments where I wonder if he suspects that she wasn't behind a lot of what ended up happening. Well, he you says know? something to the uh, along those. He's one of the people yeah. when I was thinking about like everyone else saying stuff that's contradicting Monza's view of herself. Right. And Casca knew Monza and Benna better than probably anybody else. Yeah. And he's one of the first to like say to Monza that mm-hmm. like. It was Benna that was doing all that stuff, though, not you. That's Maybe that's what Benna would think. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what Benna would want to achieve. Yeah. But not you. You just went along with it. Yeah. So I do wonder if part of it is that, where he's like, okay, I also know it wasn't really your fault. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's not your fault. She's very complicit. Like She wasn't uh, yeah, trying I mean, to put a stop to it. But true. he knows that like she would do anything for Benna, and he knows what Benna was like. Yeah, It doesn't take a genius to put that together. Yeah. Speaking of Costa, I did not anticipate him not being dead. (laughs) And it's kind of funny because it was when he supposedly died, it was such this like dramatic scene of like a rose petal falling on his face and stuff. And I was like, wow, okay. And then he's not, he's not dead now. Which is also like a funny like echoing callback because Mm -hmm. before the, before the would be death, um, someone else is surprised that he's not dead when he shows up. And he's mm-hmm. like, reports of my death have often been exaggerated. <laughs> and then later, when we all thought he was dead, and Monza is like, I thought you were dead. And he's like, reports of my death have been often exaggerated. <laughs> you just can't kill him. He's like a cockroach. He's great. Well, and then the whole thing of him, like, I suspected he wasn't actually drinking alcohol in his flask. I just figured it was like water or something, but the fact that it was like goat's milk. But then once, <laughs> once once his name was dead, he just went right back to drinking alcohol. <laughs> it's like it was just purely to prove that he could. Slash, you know, when you have a poisoner that hates you, it's a good idea. I mean, yeah. Casca likes true. to act. You know, that's why he's also kind of like Jack Sparrow. You're like, he's crazy and seems kind of dumb and self-destructive, but he also kind of has a plan always. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Okay, the other thing that I just got such a kick out of was the crown poisoning thing. Because I was just like, after he has like fail after fail after fail. Which I love the montage of failures (laughs) of Morvir. All the times he's tried to poison her and failed spectacularly. Which it's funny too, like the one where he was like, yeah, he put a thorn in this dress. And if Day was still alive, she would have been able to tell him it was the wrong size for their victim. But alas, some random woman who got a copy died. And st- <laughs> I don't know. It was that was funny. But then by happenstance, he ends up accidentally locked in a room with the crown and is like, aha, <laughs> like, here's what I get to. Like, Which okay. in theory, I mean, again, that actually could have worked, except. Mm-hmm. She's got a glove, so you killed literally everyone except her. Yeah, <laughs> once again. Yeah. Well, although they did, they did want him to kill everybody else too. Orzo did, which he was freaked out by. But it's, but he it mostly is wanted Monza dead. He mostly wanted Monza dead. That's the one yeah. he didn't kill. Yep. But it was Orzo's fault for having her hand broken, I guess. So yeah, yeah. or for yeah. killing her brother, or, or for killing for, her brother. A lot know. of reasons. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. We haven't talked about shivers at all. No, we only have a little bit. I mean, I brought it up and then was like, but that's not what you were going to talk about. So <laughs> we'll circle true. back. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about him in passing, but yeah, Shivers is an interesting character, I think, because he like, he wants I mean, it's to almost as much his book as it is Monza's. 
Yeah. He he wants to be a better person, you know, not have the choose a better path. Choose a better path. But Which he Monza just... makes fun of until she misses it when it's gone. Right. He was like, dang it, I kind of liked it when you were a dumb optimist. Yeah. What happened to that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, mm. it's like, oh, I decided I agree with you. You've convinced mm-hmm. me. She's like, dang it. <laughs> Which is kind of sad for him. I mean, well, I mean, I definitely feel like Shivers character character arc and particularly his arc in this book is in conversation with logan nine fingers and the bloody nine yeah because like logan is the end of that path what that looks like and shivers is the beginning and how you end up there yeah well and wasn't there i feel like there was a moment where he kind of went wild in battle at one point almost like logan yeah there's a moment where like he he's like the voice of the bloody nine only it was coming from his own lips Right. Like he doesn't have the like full on blackout mode like mm-hmm. a certain Mr. Nine Fingers. Right. But he's definitely following in the footsteps of his once nemesis. Yeah. And they literally have him play the Bloody Nine in a mock battle. Like it's not very subtle. No. <laughs> Which ends up turning into a real battle where he has Which to- is yet another revenge story just yeah. within the other revenge. Well, there's so many, there's so many revenge arcs in this book. Like everybody's trying to get revenge and just a lot of people end up dying. Which I think but- is another like like commentary on like Monza's like, you know, because you it's your revenge and it's like this earth-shattering thing, and everyone's like, well, in the, in the first place, where do you get off? And also like everybody's got a grudge everybody's got a grievance like it's literally all especially in a world of violence whoever you killed was someone's brother was someone's father was someone's mother was someone's sister yeah and someone's after you like no matter which is kind of why shivers wanted to choose a better path because like any life of violence just sows the seeds of further violence but like also real you have to be realistic as logan would say and in the world they live in it's not realistic to try to avoid that path yeah I do think it's interesting to the parallels between, you know, both of them wanted revenge for a brother who died, who was kind of awful. Yeah, but one of them recognized it and the other didn't. And the other didn't, at least at the beginning. Although she has a moment later on where she's like, it's like she, she says something to the effect of like, I used to love him or something. It seems like she's recognizing that she like doesn't love her brother anymore. I don't remember the line you're talking about, but I mean, she does have a few moments along the way and especially towards the end where she's not completely in denial about who he was, but she's also constantly justifying it because she's like, well, he had to be this way and he was a sensitive person. So pointing out to him what he had done, like would serve no purpose. So I took care of it. He's sickly and he's, you know, he couldn't handle it. I had to do it. I know how he is and I hate that he's like that, but I know that that's how he is and it's my job to fix it for him. Like she's thinking that all the time. I wish I had bookmarked it because there was a line, I don't like late in the book where she said something like, I used to love him or something like that. I think she also, I mean, I don't know if this is the line you're thinking of, but I remember a moment where she's kind of thinking about the sweet boy that he was when they were children and how she forgave a lot of what he was along the way because she was Mm -hmm. always protecting and loving him. And like he became someone quite different from who he was when they were children. Mm -hmm. And that was like the boy that she loved. And that's why she always protected him yeah i don't know if that was it or not i'll have to if i ever reread it i'll have to keep an eye out but what do you mean if (laughs) this is the annual thing bethany you're on the train now no (laughs) the train loops it doesn't ever end it just goes in a circle i'm gonna get off no it's just like his books where the characters end where they began well when you end 
the wisdom of crowds, you actually end at the beginning of <laughs> at the, the beginning itself. of the planet itself. Oh no. <laughs> I'm gonna hop off that train probably. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it is interesting, right? They both have brothers who are kind of awful who they were seeking revenge for. That's she commits and follows him. through, even though she questions it, she still does it. He doesn't. But I mean, that's kind of why she hires him too, because he's yeah. like, I wanted revenge for like the guy that killed my brother. Or no, she yeah. says it to him that that's what she wants, because he doesn't really want to work for her, right? Because he's trying to be a better man, and she's right. like, I want revenge for my brother's killer, and he's like, Dang it, that's like exactly the thing that would get me to agree to this. Yeah. Okay, he's <laughs> like, Yeah, I did too, and I had a chance, and I didn't take it. <laughs> I kind of laughed when you said this because I was like, it's the first of two. And you were like, oh, he gets a makeover. And I was like, he's going to get another makeover. A very different kind of makeover <laughs> later in the book. So it's funny that he gets a glow up yep. and then he turns <laughs> into a monster. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's so shallow of Monza to suddenly be like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not into well, you anymore. I mean, it's ha partly shallow because it, it's not not shallow. It is. But it's also the fact that every time she looks at him, she also knows that it's her fault. Yeah. And she does feel guilty about it. And she yeah. knows that he blames her. So yeah. it's like, I mean, yes, she does feel physically disgusted by it. Because, I mean, in fairness, who wouldn't be? Like, they describe it and it's pretty gross and horrifying. You know, I kind of get it. But it's it's not just that because she's like, he's like, he literally says it should have been you. Yeah. So like that. How do you get over like that in a relationship? <laughs> that was already not exactly the yeah. best relationship like they were never really on the same page yeah and then that happens yeah you know there's no coming back from that i guess i just also sort of feel like well i mean that i think is true but in terms of the like the shallow piece of it i want to be like lady you have the most scars <laughs> well i mean she recognizes her own hypocrisy on that like when she thinks about it she's like i mean i don't have any right but no. like it's gross <laughs> It's just gross. <sighs> and then, I mean, the way they described to like, so after it heals mm -hmm. and he gets his his, his fake eye yeah. and the way that it's like too big and the way that it like turns the wrong way all the time, you can see why she'd be like, oh, I just. Yeah. I'm just like, I want to be it. like, you just get an eye patch. <laughs> like just, just rock an eye patch. Like I think that would be better. Yeah. That's why I always tell people to not look up fan art of shivers because most fan art is post eye loss. Uh, I could see that. It's kind of funny, look... though, when, like, the iris part falls out in battle. <laughs> yeah. And just in general, how when she's, like, telling him that, like, it's the wrong way, and he's like, oh, is it? And then he, like, turns it, and then she's like, yeah, it's better now, except it's, like, way worse. She's like, why did I say anything? <laughs> and the guy's like, it's just like it's just real and he's like they look like dead people dead men's eyes and he's like no in a living face well it's before that happens when he still has the bandage on and yeah. he's like you know we've uh, we can do marvelous things don't doubt it we might be able to totally fix this and he takes off he's like okay and he's like does your like miraculous like whatever does it stretch that far and he's like yeah no okay yeah that's more than we can fix but yeah. we've got a glass one for you yeah <laughs> same as your old one yeah, I think I think an eye patch would have been a better choice for Shivers. Well, I can tell you that Shivers will never choose the eye patch. Great. That's kind of its signature look now. Oh, good. Well, it does strike fear into the hearts of your enemies. I mean, that's true. Fair point. He goes All on right. quite an arc. He does. So that is Best Served Cold. Barely scratching the surface of Best Served Cold. <laughs> but we've been doing it for like a while. So Yeah, I mean, I really liked this one. I feel like I'm going to hate the next book, so we'll see.
I don't I feel think like I'm going to be bored. It. I think I'll be bored. Yeah. But again, it'll help. You'll have the benefit that I didn't of knowing what it is going into it. Because yeah. if you don't know, then you're like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, excuse me. Yeah. I'll get through it. <laughs> it's really like, it's once you know that that's what it is uh-huh. and you're not looking for the plot, you're not expecting to find one. It's very liberating and you can just enjoy the ride because it is a very, very good ride. Because just like, I mean, all of those like amazing moments that like you like Investor of Cold, this cast yeah. of characters that are all like strange and unique individuals having strange conversations mm-hmm. that are like, you know, they're dark and funny and somehow yeah. poignantly heartfelt. The Heroes is filled with stuff like that. Okay. It just like doesn't have a plot. <laughs> okay. So I don't think you'll hate it. Okay. You'll just be like, well, there was a plot. Good to know. So we'll be back next month. <laughs> to talk about the heroes and we'll see how it goes but it's been fun getting to new material indeed so would you in your rankings now that you've read the trilogy and this did you like this better than the trilogy or the same um well i also ranked the trilogy books differently i mean just by being like this is new so then like do you think the trilogy as a whole is better or did you think this was better uh i think the the trilogy is still better i mean they're very different though they're it's one I think, I mean, I'll want to ask you this, like, as kind of several times throughout, but since, mm-hmm. like, people ask where to start, yeah. and can you start at not the blade itself? Like, I say always chronological order is the best, but that, like, Best of Cold is an acceptable starting point if mm-hmm. you want to try on his style, and then go back and read the blade itself, and then keep going chronologically after that. But I don't know if you think that this is a better starting point or if you also would say, no, definitely read The Blade itself before you ever touch Best of Cold. I don't know. I mean, I could see an argument for both directions. Like, on the one hand, like we've said, if you've read the trilogy first, you're going to get more out of Best Serve Cold. However, in Best Serve Cold, he's a better writer than in The Blade itself. Well, and, pacing-wise, I think. Well, pacing-wise, but like Character other work stuff, is on par. Yeah, but in terms of like pacing and like the way the plot proceeds and everything like this is just a much tighter book so i think especially if you're somebody who gets bogged down in slow books if you don't see where it's going i would actually start with best serve cold i think this would be a better starting point for someone like that because it's just it, and like you can read it and you don't have to read anything else if you don't want to like it can be read as a standalone so i actually it think literally some- is a standalone right yeah <laughs> So I actually do think that this might be a better starting point for most, not for everybody, but I think for most people, this actually might be a better starting point than... I definitely wouldn't say health. most people. I mean... Well, I can you're tell also you that, in... Okay, you're also in like a very specific sort but of... I also, but I, was, I, I can tell you that for a lot of people do not... Like I, when I, I said that this was my favorite, and it isn't anymore, yeah. but when it was for a long time, most people don't agree with that. A lot of people don't like this one very much. And they don't like Monza. They don't That's like so the plot of it. They think it's boring. Really? <laughs> so, like, That's so interesting. So I, I like can tell it. you that when I, you say I for mean, most people, okay. like I could see for certain readers, right. certainly, like is, okay. again, if like, the pacing is going to be a yeah. problem, for sure. That's why I always say, like, if you don't want to commit to a trilogy, if you just kind of mm-hmm. want to like try on his style, I think that this yeah. is of the standalones, the one that works best. That like actually really like you can read the heroes as a standalone. It is a standalone. But like Best of Cold really works as like a I can pick this up, sink my teeth into this revenge story, and see what his writing is like. Yes. And then go back and read his other stuff better than yeah. the other. So like if you did want a taster, like this would be the one. Yeah. No, I agree. I also actually think it could be an interesting thing to read this first and then go back and 
see how like Giselle became king. Because I was about to say, like, a, I know we're trying know? to wrap this up, but like we didn't talk about the Giselle cameo. We did one of my favorite things. <laughs> that was so good, that whole scene. And also how somebody's like, Oh yeah, your wife likes women. He's like, My my wife, what? Because <laughs> like, he still hadn't put that together. No. Oh, Giselle. Oh, Giselle. So I mean, I actually could see a world in which it would be really interesting to go from reading this first back to the first law and be like oh the cripple oh king giselle like i actually think that could work really well so i i i do think this could be a really good oh shivers <laughs> oh shivers yeah yeah when, i mean that's a great like when you like read all of the books like when you go back to the beginning again when not if and you see like <laughs> young kid shivers they're like that's rattleneck's son but rattleneck's son is dead no that's his other son the little kid <laughs> yeah. oh okay like he's like a youngin and he's yeah. like i'm gonna kill logan <laughs> you're like okay <laughs> pipe down tyke yeah it's like oh to go from like one-eyed monster shivers back to kid shivers who's mm -hmm. like i'm gonna kill logan who killed my brother like yeah yeah no yeah so i mean i could see i think it just depends on what you like but i think if the premise of this sounds appealing and if pacing is an issue for you i think this could be a good place to start yeah and then you may decide you want to read it again later or you may not because like there are things you get out of it having read the first law trilogy first but i also think that reading this first there are things you would get out of the first law trilogy well there's also i mean you know having read all of the new trilogy too like cause it's all connected it's all builds on what happened before so this third time around it being the third time i picked mm -hmm. up details that are just details i missed that have nothing to do with anything that i just didn't notice but there's also things that like he hadn't planned the new trilogy yet so it's not like that but it's just like little stuff that like he later decided to do something with where like a name that's relatively insignificant is actually a name that you now have more reason to pay attention to because like, you know what? That little thing that didn't mean anything, I'm going to use it. Mm. And it's just, yeah. you know, that's why the more you read it, the more that like, he's chosen to interconnect things. It's like when you study a history book and you're like, oh, and this family from like this other conflict a few generations back in the era of whatever, well, they kind of come back into political significance, whatever, you know, they start this uprising. And so like history is always littered with those kind of like interweaving connections. So like mm -hmm. having that, you know, mosaic of little connections all throughout just makes it feel more lived in and real. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. So we could, we could, we could talk a lot, but but uh, we are going to move into On My Radar, where we'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance we're excited about. Books for today's episode will be released mostly between May 31st and June 13th, 2022. I think Liana has one that's coming out later in June. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we would appreciate it if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. And I guess I'll note this. Our bonus content is is not the same as whatever the topic for the episode is. We have done a, a wide range. I think today we're going to talk about the uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard <laughs> trial, which should be fun. Because so, there are only two topics that Liana is capable of talking about, and those are First Law, first law <laughs> and the trial. <laughs> So heads up, if you join us on Patreon, you'll have access to a whole playlist of fun bonus content. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patrons, Trina and Sarah. You all make what we do possible, so thank you. I have three books to talk about today. Four books. Four books to talk about today. <laughs> 
first up, May 31st, there are two books coming out that I have already read and I loved both of them. So we have A Caribbean Heiress in Paris by Adriana Herrera. This is a historical romance following a woman from the Caribbean who is traveling to France in the late 1800s for the World Exposition and ends up meeting a man and it's great it's a lot of fun it's a fantastic historical romance and i love the fact that adriana herrera is doing research into the very real existence of people of color in history and then writing historical romances based on that and so it's it's uh really really fantastic and then also we have summer's edge by dana melly which this is not in one of our typical genres but it is kind of a horror thriller so i feel like it sort of counts <laughs> it's got a paranormal aspect to it so i'm gonna throw it in here this is wonderful it's a ya book that's being pitched as rebecca meets the haunting of hill house and it's really good it's very summery it's got mostly not entirely but like queer main characters and it follows a group of friends who are spending the summer at a house where the summer before one of their friends had died in a fire and there's a lot of like messy relationship dynamics there is a bisexual love triangle that's very complicated with like exes and stuff and uh like ex-boyfriend who's the twin brother of the girl who died ex-girlfriend who owns the house with her like her parents own the house and maybe the house is haunted it's great i really liked it liana if you want to share yours and then i'll do my other two my one and only yeah well the wonderful author of the blackwing ravensmark trilogy ed mcdonald has a new book and a new series coming out in june called the daughter of red winter the series is the red winter chronicles and it's about a girl that can see and speak to the dead. Yes. I'm supposed to be reading that later this month. I'm excited. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Should be fun. June 7th, I've got a couple books coming out. First up is Wrath Goddess Sing by Maya Dean. This is interesting. Drawing on ancient texts and modern archaeology to reveal the trans woman's story hidden underneath the well-known myths of the Iliad, Maya Dean's Wrath Goddess Sing weaves a compelling, pitilessly beautiful vision of Achilles' vanished world, perfect for fans of Song of Achilles and the Inheritance trilogy. So kind of an interesting idea, the idea that Achilles was a trans woman. Interesting. Well, um, I mean... The text does support that. He does cross-dress. Well, I mean, there you go. He pretty, like, like, he passes as the woman when he cross-dresses in, I mean, in the original. Okay, so it makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, there you go. Wrath Goddess Sing. I think it's, it's kind of a cool concept. I didn't know that. And then also coming out June 7th is Eight Weeks in Paris by S.R. Lane. This one is a romance. The thing for the book says... Lost novel of Belle Epic Paris, The Throne, comes to the silver screen with an A-list cast, but will onset drama doom the filming of this gay love story before it starts? So it's like enemies to lovers with like the actors on set for, for this uh, this movie that's filming on in Paris. So it looks fun. So there you go. Check those out. They will all be linked in the show notes or in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube. Again, this has been Chopped Through Podcast. We're your hosts, Bethany and Liana. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also find us on YouTube on our personal YouTube channels. All of that will be linked down below in the show notes or in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube. The next episode will be available in two weeks. I will be back with Izzy. Not sh quite sure what we're going to be doing, but it'll be fun and romance related. So we'll be back in a couple weeks. This episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.